Friends, would you join me in prayer? Dear God, thank you for the crazy good privilege of calling me to be the senior minister of Knox Church, to be the pastor for this wild and woolly church of saints and sinners, every one of these humans, precious and beautiful, your beloved community. And today, for one more time, Holy Spirit, be so present with us. May the words of my mouth and the reflections of each and every one of our hearts be good and holy and pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Do you know how weird this moment is to try to wrap up nine years of life and ministry with you in the midst of a pandemic in a nearly empty sanctuary? Thank you for the tech team who are with us. To not see your faces, to have to preach to a camera, to not hear your voices, to not be able to cry together, to hug, to laugh, to join our voices with loud praise to God for all his goodness to us. I hate this pandemic, but here we are together. So online is the best we can do. Let's make the best of it. How do you take the measure of these past nine years? In the musical Rent, they sing a song that goes like this, 525,600 minutes. How do you measure a year in the life? 525,600 minutes, of course, is the number of minutes in a year. Uh, So in our nine years together, we've had 4,730,400 minutes. So how do we take the measure of these 4,730,400 minutes? In sermons, in Bible studies, in welcome back barbecues and ministry plans, in meetings and more meetings, in conversations and cups of coffee, in renovation plans and capital campaigns, in tears and lots of laughter, in baptisms and professions of faith, in weddings and in funerals, in truths that we taught one another and learned together, in in sins that we committed and harmed one another, in grace that we experienced, in forgiveness that was graciously extended, in bowls of soup, lots of soup, in hospital visits, in prayers offered, in songs sung, in retreats and friendship, and of course, in Zoom calls, lots of Zoom calls and live stream services. So many good moments of shared life together. Some of it hard, some of it crazy, most of it really sweet. I think one of the craziest moments of my time in ministry here was when I got an email from the Ontario Registrar of Burial Sites. Uh, And they were informing me that on a certain property in downtown Toronto that was being developed, that property was once owned by Knox Church. It was formerly known as the Duchess Street Burial Ground. Well, that developer, as they were doing work on the property, found human remains on that property. 
everyone thought all the bodies from that once cemetery were relocated to the Toronto necropolis in 1911-1912. We still actually, John Hutchinson told me, we still have a receipt from the company that did that work. Apparently, a few bodies were missed in the process. And this developer developing that property found three and a half additional human remains. And so I was called in and I had to meet with the archaeologists who told me all their ghost stories about what they do when they uncover human remains. And I had to preside over a blessing for that site because contractors that the developer were working would refuse to work on it unless a minister blessed the site. And then afterwards, I had to preside over a reburial of these unknown Presbyterian pioneers. Stuff they don't train you for in school. I think the hardest and the heaviest moments involved making decisions that would bring about necessary but hard change here at church. When I was called here, the leadership, the session of of Knox Church said, we need to change as a church. We need to adapt. We need to grow our mission and our ministry here. And I was brought in to lead that. And I gladly led that. But asking people to change is hard. I mean, change itself is very difficult. Everyone, I think, really does want change. Often the attitude is, yes, let's have change. Just don't make me change. Because change involves loss. So it's hard. And so those were hard moments, those decisions that would bring needed but difficult change. And that would also then bring grief to a group, to people in our church who dearly loved this church, when we would make important decisions that impacted the livelihoods of people, that was when I I felt like the the weight of the world on my shoulders. But there were a thousand compensations for those hard moments. There were sweet moments so filled with grace and goodness of the Holy Spirit's fullness, like the way our church responded to the Syrian refugee crisis with generosity, with open hearts, I think of all the pastoral conversations that I've had with people here in this sanctuary or in my study as we've been talked and prayed, as you opened up your lives and your heart, as we thought through how we can trust Jesus in this situation a little deeper. To work with our staff and the elders of Knox Church, such gifted godly men and women. What a privilege it was to be part of a team that were doing this good work together. The Alpha Ministry, that's always been one of the the sweet spots for me. This beautiful place around a, a table, around a meal where we engage with people who are really wrestling with faith questions, seekers and skeptics asking important questions. It it felt so beautifully real and vulnerable and raw. And just the place where you'd find Jesus. I think probably one of the the sweetest moments had to be a baptism when we baptized one of our Persian sisters on an Easter Sunday morning and seeing her faith and, and realizing the staggering level of personal sacrifice she was making to say yes to Jesus. That, that continues to feed my faith, to nourish me. Um, Such an incredible moment. Paul says in Thessalonians, this beautiful passage from Thessalonians, we loved you so much 
that we delighted to share with you not only the gospel, but our lives as well. And one of the measures of this nine years that we've shared together is the good life we've been able to share together. And I understand later in January, you know, we'll have a celebration, a party where we can spend more time on that. And I'm looking forward to that. And so right now, what I want to do is shift more to the other thing that Paul talks about, what a delight it has been to share. And that is the gospel. Because the best measure of this 4,730,400 minutes is Jesus and the gospel. And it's been my pleasure, my privilege to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with you, to proclaim, to teach the good news, to, to trace out all the implications of what God's kingdom means for our lives, to challenge us with, with the gospel, to, to shepherd us in the way of Jesus. And so I want to take one more opportunity to, to do what I feel God's called me to do, and that's to proclaim the good news of Jesus. And I'm preaching from this Colossians passage, and that's actually the passage I preached for the call when I first came to Knox. So I'm trying to bookend my ministry here with this beautiful picture, this, this illustrative vision of who Jesus is, because he is the center. He is the measure of our life and ministry. The Apostle Paul writes this. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. So many people in our culture want to know about God. But because God is spirit, because he's invisible, he he often feels inaccessible to so many people. We're, We're so shaped by the material world around us. We're so empirically conditioned. We can hardly conceive of of understanding something without immediately it being accessible to our senses unless we can taste it or see it or measure it so how do we gain access to a god that is invisible paul writes jesus is the image of the invisible god he's saying when you look at jesus you see god the word that he uses there for image it's it's a greek word from where we get our word icon And so among other things, that word was commonly used to mean a portrait of somebody. In that day and age, they didn't have smartphones or digital photographs. So if you wanted to show a picture, let's say, of your grandkids, you'd have an icon, a portrait done, and you'd show them. Uh, That was the word that Paul uses here. He's saying Jesus is a portrait, a picture of God. How do we know what God is like? It's been a great question of, throughout the ages of humankind. What is God's character like? Who, who is God like? Can I trust him? How is he going to act with me personally? The problem was nobody fully knew what God was like. Until Jesus. Until Jesus. Because when you look at Jesus, you see God. He is the image of the invisible God. And further in this passage, look at what Paul says. For in him, that is in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. How much of the fullness of God? All of it. Because when you look at Jesus, you don't miss a thing about who God is. All the fullness of God dwelt in Jesus. So if if you wonder, what does God think of people like you and me, people whose lives are often broken and messed up, who fail and get it wrong. Look at 
Jesus. Look at the people Jesus spent time with and loved and cared for and listen to what his accusers of Jesus would say. Here is a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Jesus, the image of the invisible God, a friend of sinners. This is who God is. If you wonder, what does God feel about all the suffering and injustice in this world that that tears up our hearts and tears up so many lives? Look at Jesus weeping at the graveside of his friend. Look at Jesus as he shows compassion and heals the sick. Look at Jesus strung up on a cross, completely entering in and taking on all the suffering and brokenness and injustice of the world, suffering for us. This is who God is. If you wonder, how how might God respond to my sin, to my past that has caused harm and so much damage? Listen to Jesus when he talks to that woman caught in adultery and he says, Where are those who condemn you? Neither do I. Go and sin no more. This is God. Jesus, the image of the invisible God. You look at Jesus and you have seen all of God. Because Jesus is God. You want to be no God? You want to be a friend of God? Immerse yourself in the life of Jesus, friends. That's been at the forefront of our vision as a church for the past nine years. Following Jesus because we know in him is the fullness of God. Because he is the image of the invisible God. Now Paul is just getting started here. And he just starts riffing uh, off this beautiful picture of who Jesus is, unveiling a bigger, grander image. And in verse 16, he writes, for in him all things, and you'll notice how Paul uses that little phrase, all things, seven different times, all things in heaven and on earth, things created, visible, invisible, whether thrones, dominions, or rulers, or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things. Jesus Christ is the one through whom all God's creativity and beauty came to expression in making this world up, this universe. Everything in the universe was created through Jesus Christ. Not only is Jesus the source of all creation, but Paul adds, all things hold together in him. In Jesus Christ, everything holds together. Everything is kept and held Have you ever heard someone say the words or something like it? I just don't think I can hold it together any longer. I've heard more than a few people say that during this pandemic. I don't know if I can make it through this. I don't know if I can hold it together. Well, here's the good news. You don't have to. Because that's what Jesus is doing. That's his job. Jesus, just a word from Jesus, just a thought and all things hold together. And if Jesus did not do that for just a moment, a millisecond, everything that we know, that we see, that we love would be snuffed out. But everything is held together because this sustaining grace of Jesus who holds together all things. Anyone here enjoy physics? I know in high school that wasn't a real favorite of mine, but I find it one of the most fascinating Uh, fields of study. And one of the kings of physics, Albert Einstein, 
gave us a number of theories. The theory of special relativity, the theory of general relativity. But his greatest theory, he just wasn't able to finally achieve. Einstein always talked about there being this, this something that holds the universe together. And scientists, of course, are really hot on that theory, trying to figure out what is it, this thing that eluded Einstein. It's commonly called a theory of everything. Uh, one line of thought is called string theory, which attempts to bring these two giants of modern physics, the general theory of relativity and then quantum theory. I couldn't explain it properly to you, but physicists believe that there is something that holds the universe, that frames, that knits it all together, that explains the wonders of physics of the universe, a theory that provides sort of the rationale for the order and the design that we see. If the Apostle Paul were part of those conversations, I think he'd probably say, it's Jesus. He holds all things together. In him, all things are held together. Jesus is the biggest, most beautiful description and truth and rationale and rhyme and reason for the universe. As one commentator said, Jesus keeps the cosmos from becoming a chaos. You see the wonder of what this means for us? This means that there's so much common ground that we have to speak of Jesus with people who may have never known the name of Jesus. You know, you don't have to launch into the four spiritual laws or tell people what horrible sinners they are to actually have a good conversation about Jesus. You can talk about the wonder of our bodies and how we're made up and how wounds heal because that points to Jesus, the creator and sustainer of all things. The glory of the latest scientific discovery, the truth that you feel when you see a movie, the sense of justice that you see rising up in protest movements, all those are pointing to Jesus. Talk about the aching beauty in Taylor Swift and Bonnie Vare singing in exile together. Talk about the beauty of art and design, the goodness of a, of, of a brilliant business idea the lyrics of Kendrick Lamar. You can riff off of all those and get to Jesus because of the truth, the rightness, the goodness, the beauty we sense in these things comes from that creator, from the one who upholds all things together in Jesus Christ. So friends in Ox, keep pursuing that. Be witnesses to the wonder of Jesus Christ. Continue to be bold, creative, imaginative witnesses to the good news in Jesus. Help our world see all around us the wonder of the one who holds all things together. Now, some of us may be thinking there is another side to the world too. There is a broken world that is not a pretty sight where things are not all right, where pandemics isolate and kill where relationships crumble, where, where death comes too quick to a child, where depression sends people into a spiral of darkness, where the dignity of a person gets denied because of the color of their skin. There's so much that's twisted and distorted. So where's Jesus in all that? And he's here too, in all of that. Not as the cause of all that's broken, but as the healer of all that is distorted and twisted. The Bible tells us that sin, um, the rebellion of creation against its creator, is all that vandalizes the good in this world. 
And yet God is doing something about it. You see that here in this passage. Look at this beautiful, compelling Jesus. Remember the, in, the, the image of the invisible God. And God doesn't stand at a distance from a broken creation. He's not aloof, not uncaring about all the mess. What does he do? He comes into it. God enters into it. He gets himself bruised and pierced and bloodied. He experiences the same death that is all around in this broken creation. Look at verse 18, where it says he's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead, so that he might come to have the first place in everything. For in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things. Check this out. All things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of the cross. The life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus is, is the key to healing all the disharmonies of creation, all the inhumanities of life. Because in Jesus, God is reconciling everything through the blood of the cross. Again, that little phrase, all things, all things are remedied, reconciled, mended, healed in Jesus through the cross. Just don't pass too quickly by that little phrase, all things. Think of anything that is broken, anything that is out of joint. Jesus Christ is going to put that right. All things. That's the deep hope of Christmas that, that makes a weary world rejoice. That everything that's broken and bent, Jesus intends to reconcile and restore. The darkness that sits in our own hearts. The loneliness we feel, the isolation, the judgmentalism that can often creep up and rise in our hearts, the frailty, the fragility of our bodies, the antagonisms we feel in the world, the out-of-control consumerism, environmental degradation, racial injustice, all of it is where Jesus is at work and where he intends to restore and reconcile. He's done the work through the cross already. He has reconciled all things in the cross. But now Jesus invites us to be partners of enacting that reconciliation, of continuing that work. So Knox Church, I urge you to keep alert to all the possibilities, all the opportunities, so that you might be agents of God's reconciliation. Your spot here in the center of this beautiful but broken city of Toronto is so profound. It is God-ordained, and this city needs the gospel of Jesus Christ. So be a generous, be a creative partner to God's redemptive work in the world. This, this is the Jesus story that we have been living for these past 4,730,400 minutes together. Our story centered in Jesus. And an important part of any story, of course, is a goodbye. To say it well, to say it heartfelt, to say it with full of love, that's important for honoring the shared life that we've had. That word goodbye, you know, we mostly think of it as sort of a, a sign-off. Uh, something like, so long, see you later, 
checking out. It is a sign-off, but it's a sign, a signal of something else. What's interesting is that the Bible has no word for goodbye. No one says goodbye. I mean, people parted ways, of course, yes. But no one ever says goodbye. Our word goodbye is actually a contraction of a longer phrase. God be with ye. God be with you. Sort of mashed it together into goodbye. And so when people's lives diverged and God led them to different places, they didn't sign off with, hey, that's all, folks. See you later. Uh, Instead, they spoke a prayer. They spoke a blessing. God be with you. I can't be with you, so God be with you. And so God be with you, Knox Church. Because if God is with you, then no matter what you face, whatever else is going on, all shall be well. If God is with you, your circumstances, no matter how good or how challenging, all shall be well. That's what Paul says at the end of his second letter to the Thessalonians. His final words there are, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with you all, he says. And that's not a goodbye. It's God be with you. Jesus, when he ascended back to heaven after his earthly ministry, what did he say? He gave his disciples, his followers, you and me, a commission. Go into all the world, make disciples of every nation, teaching them all that I have commanded you. And then he gives a promise. And surely I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus is saying, I'm not abandoning you. My absence may not be, my presence may not be with you always, but I am with you always. It's not a goodbye. It's a God be with you. So God be with you, Knox Church, as you face all the immediate challenges, as you step into the coming days. God be with you. There are good days ahead. I know it. Continue to dream big dreams. Remain true to God. Follow Jesus. Love this city like it's never been loved before. In all its beauty and brokenness, serve the world with the deepest kindness and generosity that flows from the heart of Jesus. Do not be afraid because there is no situation in which you are without the presence of God. God be with you, Knox Church, so you might continue to be Christ's light in this world, the salt of the earth, a city set on a hill within this city of Toronto, a home, a family for people of every stripe and persuasion where the least, the last, the lost, the excluded are loved and embraced and come to know the Savior. You know, the word goodbye, it's not in the Bible, but there is a word in the Bible that often comes when something is coming to a conclusion, when something is reaching its end. It's a very tiny word called amen. And amen, it, it, it is like this really loud yes. It's an it's a affirmation. May it be so. Amen. Scripture says all God's promises are yes and amen in Jesus. It's, it's when we affirm something with our whole being. It's like yes and amen. 
comes at the end of something, but there's sort of this leaning forward into this expectation. No, something else is coming as well. At the end of the Bible itself, that's the final word in Scripture. In Revelation, we read, The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. And so let's let that be our final word. I'm so grateful for these nine years together. It still feels too short. Nine years we've had of the joy of sharing our lives and sharing in the gospel. But now we come to the end of our fellowship in this place and at this time. And I think the bright and hopeful sorrow we feel is a measure of the depth of the love we've come to share in Christ. So, Knox Church, God be with you. And all God's people said, Amen. There's a brief reflection question that's going to be put on this screen. What are you most grateful for from these past years we've shared together?